This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Gladys Berejiklian was, until Friday, the Premier of our most populous state, New South Wales. Over the past few years, she's become a name instantly recognisable to those in New South Wales, but also around the nation. And that's because there's nothing like a global pandemic to bring the state premiers right to the top of the power list here in Australia. On Friday, she resigned. A shock to many, she's bowed out of state politics completely, and that's because she's being investigated by the state's ICAC, the Independent Commission Against Corruption. If you're confused about why exactly she had to go, you're not alone. In this episode, we explain anti-corruption commissions and why they exist, the ongoing debate on why or why not there should be a federal ICAC, and finally, what happened with Gladys Berejiklian. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Checks and balances are all part of a functioning democracy, Claire. So that includes politicians, bureaucrats and anyone benefiting from public funding or support. To do this, we have anti-corruption laws, we have investigative bodies and commissions dedicated to the task. To start with, when we say corruption, what do we mean? When it comes to the public sector, corruption is generally considered to be the dishonest or the biased conduct of a public official's function or duties, uh, or for their personal benefit or gain. Uh, and it's usually considered to be of a serious nature, and it includes things like bribery, fraud, forgery, embezzlement, theft, misappropriation of assets. The list goes on and on. And what we know is that people can lose their jobs over stuff, whether it's big or small. Yeah, that's right. And that's where the concept of integrity also comes into play. That covers the scope of behaviour or conduct by public officials, which might have been considered inappropriate, but it might not have been quite as serious as corruption. It might be a bit less serious or lower risk. And yeah, many people have lost their jobs over questions of integrity uh, that have been investigated by these commissions. We'll get to a whole heap of historical examples in the last segment of this podcast. But first, let's focus on the point around integrity and corruption. As we said, there's bodies set up to look into these things. In fact, every state and territory has some sort of anti-corruption or integrity commission. And the spectrum of what sort of alleged wrongdoing they cover is something that is discussed at length. And like so many things in our federation, there's no one rule for all as we've come to learn in sharp detail across the last two years. It's too much to go through each state and territory in the minutia of the detail. And whilst they all have their quirks, Claire, anyway, in the interest of understanding their role, we can make some generalisations. So let's do that now. First of all, they have jurisdiction over the public sector, but not the private sector. Yeah, that's right. And they also have coercive powers. They're similar to those of Royal Commissions. And what that means is that they can force people to appear and give evidence and they're also overseen by parliamentary committees and they have investigative, preventative and educational functions. 
And it's that investigative power that we need to call out because it's an important part of understanding what they are. Here enters our first mention of ICAC, Claire. That's New South Wales' independent commission against corruption, and it's probably the best example. Yeah, and a good one given there's a lot of talk about Gladys Berejiklian, of course, and how it works is that a report is made that can come from an anonymous tip from the public or an elected official or a bureaucrat, anyone really. Uh, ICAC will start making inquiries and interviewing people, and if they believe that there's some merit, a hearing is held in private first to help with their information gathering. And if they believe that there's something to answer, they'll then move on to a public hearing uh, using that information that they've gathered. And it's really important to note that their public hearings are not judicial proceedings. It's not like in court where a decision with legal penalties can be delivered. Uh, Rather, these public hearings are used by those anti-corruption commissions as a tool to air these things out in the open and also to increase the public's confidence in the integrity of these sorts of investigations. Remember all of that talk about those things being public. We'll come back to that in a minute. But to summarise, step one, the Commission investigates behind the scenes, which is, by the way, where things were with Gladys Berejiklian until last week. Step two is a public hearing takes place. Step three, Claire. They make factual findings. Uh, They might say that a person has engaged in corrupt conduct or they might say that there's nothing to see here. Uh, If it's the former, it's up to state prosecutors to pick that up or not. It's up to them. Uh, And if it's the latter, critics say the process really stinks because the target has just been dragged through a whole lot for nothing. One jurisdiction, Claire, that doesn't have this sort of anti-corruption commission up and running is the Commonwealth. Let's get into that now. It's long been debated that the federal level of government needs an anti-corruption or integrity commission to, as the Democrats would say, Claire, keep the bastards honest. (laughs) The Morrison government says one is coming. Yeah, and in the past, the governments of the day have argued that existing arrangements at the federal level are effective enough at addressing integrity and corruption issues at the Commonwealth public sector level, and therefore the creation of a national integrity commission wasn't needed. And to bolster that, the critics say that there's 26 agencies within the federal government that already monitor for corruption Mm. and they also investigate and take action when required. Those in favour of a corruption commission, though, say that doesn't adequately do the job. Yeah, and a lot of that comes down to public confidence. Those agencies do a lot of their work behind the scenes. There's no big public hearing to watch. And so those in favour say that it's important to have a body where politicians, public servants and people or enterprises reliant on public funding can be called to answer for their conduct if substantial claims are made against them. So as we said, the coalition has put funding towards establishing one. It'll be called the Commonwealth Integrity Commission, the CIC for short, and it's been through a consultation process, Claire. Broadly speaking, how's it been received? Really depends on what side of the debate you're on. Like most things. (laughs) If you want a tough CIC, what's been proposed is not tough enough. If you're not a fan of a CIC, it's all too much. And the criticism of what has been proposed centres on complaints, that the definition of corruption is too narrow and the threshold for referral to the commission is too high. And that's because the draft bill stipulates that members of the public can't refer suspected corruption. 
So what I'm hearing from you over the last little bit is that this public part of the puzzle is an important one. Yeah, and what critics say that like the State and Territory Commissions, anyone should be able to report issues to the CIC. Uh, as it currently stands, it will need to come from the inside of politics or the inside of the bureaucracy. Uh, along with that are the issues that the CIC can't launch its own investigations, it can't hold public hearings, uh, it can't issue public findings or examine breaches of ministerial standards. So in all of that, it's quite a different beast what's been proposed to those that are already operating in the state and territory level. As for the architects of it, the government, they argue that it would be a waste of the CIC's resources and taxpayer money when the public can already report those sorts of things to the police. So with little agreement, Claire, a lot is still up in the air. Yeah, it sure is. And watch out for more on this. Uh, Attorney General Michaelia Cash has said that the government plans to bring the final CIC legislation to the parliament by the end of 2021. So we'll have to see where things land. That will be a hot debate. Labor says it's committed to a national anti-corruption commission, one with teeth, this is the quote, one that operates independently of government and is able to conduct its own inquiries. As you say, that's all in our very near future. But let's finish with a walk down memory lane on some big anti-corruption cases and cover off those claims against Gladys Berejiklian. When there is power, there's risk of corruption and favouritism. Claire, probably the standout in living memory for being prone to a bit of that was the Queensland government under Premier Joe Bielke-Peterson between the late 60s to the mid-1980s. Yeah, it sure was. And it was found that there was a deep and systematic web of corruption that implicated those at the highest level of Queensland's government. And it was the Fitzgerald inquiry that ultimately ended Bioki Peterson's reign as the state's longest serving premier. Uh, That was into police corruption and how the police force was used to prop up his government. There are plenty of stories from that time of ministers in the government lining their own pockets. One larger-than-life character was Russ Hins. They called him the Minister for Everything. There are so many stories about Russ, but to give you a taste, he owned 167 racehorses while he was the Minister for Racing, uh, and he also had interest in a gravel company when he was the Minister for Main Roads. He denied that those things were conflicts of interest. He said that they were a Convergence of interests. Those couple of examples make Barry O'Farrell's bottle of wine seem very tame. Oh, Barry O'Farrell's bottle of wine. Here we are. That's the former New South Wales Premier. He left the job in 2014 when it came to light that he'd accepted a $3,000 bottle of 1959 Penfolds Grange from businessman Nick D. Girolamo. Yeah, he failed to disclose the bottle of wine which was required and he told ICAC that he hadn't received it in hearings into that company company that Di Girolamo worked for. And when his memory was jogged later, thanks to a thank you note that he wrote, he resigned. Yeah, he resigned ultimately because he misled ICAC. He wasn't being investigated himself. He was at the time, Claire, the second New South Wales Premier to resign thanks to ICAC investigations. The first was Nick Greiner in 1992. Ironically, he was the man who established ICAC. But Claire, to the third New South Wales Premier and one of most interest this week, of course, Gladys Berejiklian. 
So at the centre of ICAC's investigations are two grants awarded to organisations in Wagga while she was the treasurer. Uh, That's where her then secret love interest, Daryl Maguire, lived and represented as the state MP. The first was a $5.5 million grant to the Clay Target Club in Wagga uh, and Maguire is accused of trying to profit from the fit-out of that club. Uh, The second is $20 million for Wagga's Conservatorium of Music. It was a much larger grant than other like organisations got and Berejiklian is accused of intervening to personally approve the funds. It's something she denies and at this stage, as we've learnt, she's being investigated. She's not being found guilty of anything. So the obvious question, and I've heard, of course, a lot of people ask it, why did she quit? Well, there's a few things, but ICAC investigations can take a really long time, like years. And Berejiklian as Premier brought in standards that said that a minister being investigated by ICAC should stand aside from their post. Uh, For her part, she said that that wasn't possible for her because the state's at a critical time with the COVID crisis. And she said to give the state certainty, she didn't want to be a distraction to the government, she would resign. So instead of standing aside, as she would insist that any of her ministers did, she, as you say, she's left state politics altogether. There's been a bit of talk about the timing of ICAC's announcement, Claire. So just to recap on how these commissions operate, ICAC had been investigating Berejiklian behind closed doors for a while. Mm. It would have pulled her in for one of those private hearings before going public on Friday with that announcement that she will front public hearings in the coming weeks. What plenty of supporters and legal experts have said is that given the COVID crisis, ICAC should have waited because the claims against her aren't serious enough to interrupt the public health response. But others say she's the Premier and the ICAC has to do its work unimpeded. As you say, ICAC is notoriously slow to settle matters, so jump on board for the ride. But in the short term, public hearings start on the 18th of October. That's when we'll hear her defence. Stay tuned for that. Claire, to end on a hopeful note, corruption in Australia is relatively uncommon when compared to other nations worldwide. Yeah, that's right. We rank 11th place out of 180 countries for transparency. And I guess that's something. (laughs) That's your shortcut to anti-corruption commissions. On to our recommendations. Each week, we recommend some further reading, listening or watching Moonlight State. Claire, I'm trusting you on this. You're telling me to recommend it. It's an (laughs) iconic Four Corners episode on corruption in Queensland in that era that we talked about. Well worth a look. Yeah, Four Corners at its best. It really did change the course of that government. Uh, And for me, something fun. If you haven't seen Wag the Dog, uh, find it on one of the streaming services. It's got Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro. It is great fun and it's all about this sort of stuff. I was going to say, we're just watching it because it's a good movie so we can (laughs) tune out from anti-corruption or it's about anti-corruption. That's a good enough reason. (laughs) (laughs) It's about anti-corruption. Thanks for listening into this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts. If you like what you hear, if you enjoy our shortcuts, please tell people about them. Of course, they're also in written format on our website and there's an email that goes out summarising what we've said on Friday morning to everyone who signed up to the Squeeze. If you want to sign up to the Squeeze Today email on that note, Go to our website and whack in your email address and you'll get that every morning. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Listener.